Hey, you guys, and we are back with the Bow Rush Podcast, episode 013. As always, I'm Scott Nelson. We got uh, host Travis Stowe. Travis, how are you doing today, bud? Man, I'm doing great. Yeah, the first episode we just did with Jen was amazing, uh, episode 12. And as a recap, it was from being a vegan to hardcore hunter. And we also got into the topic of what it's like getting death threats and how she is overcoming those situations. The stuff she talked about was just, it's crazy. Some of the things that she had to share about, and it just shows really how dedicated she is. But we had an incredible conversation with her in the first half. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go back to mybowrush.com forward slash zero 12, and you can be able to listen to it right now. Otherwise, this half is about when you are going to have a conversation with the anti-hunters, some to the extreme and some that are just curious. Maybe they are a little bit of against it, but they're not really sure why. I know I've gotten defensive before and having the conversation with someone that does not want to even consider our feelings and what we want to do, it's kind of hard to sit in their shoes and see what they're seeing because really we've already put a brick wall. Um, I, I really... The things that she talked about, stepping out of that situation, realizing they're not really angry at you and realize that they're just angry at a situation. They might be projecting that energy towards you. Heck, I mean, that happens. It's easy. You can be the, the one that they're, you're the punching bag, but step out of that, realizing that if you want to have a conversation, you got to realize you got to sit in their shoes. And then maybe at that point, you can actually discuss something. That gives you the opportunity to speak with them and share your side and possibly open the eyes of people that are unknown to the outdoors what it's really like. And she really dives into that really well, providing great information with personal experience. You really need to listen to this. So any person that's wanting to talk to people that are non-hunters, listen up because this is awesome. Yeah, you know, we're all looking for that way to have that conversation, to really have a successful conversation and not find ourselves in in a screaming match with someone who doesn't like the fact uh, we wear camo, put put face paint on, and go stalk animals. So you know what? Let's bring Jen back in. Let's kind of get her take. We'll have her kind of set up what we're really talking about here. And um, you know, we'll go from there. It's going to be a great conversation. So please stay tuned. We'll get Jen in just a second. Sounds good. Let's bring her in. I, one question I've actually, I've never really had the best answer to, to say, but... Um, there's some people that we know that are straight vegan. They are PETA completely where it, there's no uh, harm to any animal. And, and to the extent of if a magazine comes in and it has a deer on it for a hunting magazine, they'll get a black marker and start scratching out the faces and put don't shoot me. And those just go to that full extent to go into even having a conversation with them. They're into the far right or the far left, however you want to put it. Um, extremists to that uh, categorization, that there's really almost never a way to even approach that conversation. Have you ever experienced that? And have you, like, what was some of the steps that you ste like were able to break through the, the ice and, uh, you know, open up the conversation for someone that extreme? For, well, you know, first of all, someone that extreme is not worth the time. It's oh, yeah. not worth it. You can't argue with the dog. <laughs> So, and the people that fall into that category on any top, you know, it doesn't even matter what we're talking about. We could be talking about religion, hunting, uh, gasoline issues and oil. I mean, it doesn't matter what the topic is. You know, groups of extremism, I wouldn't worry about it until they become violent or break the law. But <laughs> in terms of opinions, extreme opinions are not the people that we, sh I, in my opinion, obviously, in, in my way of thinking, 
extreme opinions are not who we need to be concerned with because the majority of people don't fall into that category. And we want to talk to the majority of people. We want to educate the majority of people because we want the majority of people to vote for things that are in the majority's best interest, right? So these little extreme groups are actually very small. They just happen to have a very big voice. But the average person, in my experience, has been totally willing to talk about it, even if we disagree at the end. But those conversations are happening. And then what happens, even if you disagree, is they start having conversations with other people. And you start having conversations with other people. And you start to think about it. And you critically engage with the topic beyond, this is how I feel and this is why I feel and that's that. You know, I've seen myself change. My opinions have changed a lot. You know, when I started hunting, I never thought I would have any interest in predator hunting because I didn't know anything about it. You know, I, I, I was misinformed. The more conversations I had, the more I thought about it, and the more I was willing to do research about it. And then now I bought two bobcat tags this year. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, conversations and getting over ourselves goes a long way. Edu- educate yourself, you know. Yeah. You know, go go online and not everything is true online, but sift through it all. You know, find Take find the commonality. Yeah, exactly. Take everything with a grain of salt and ask questions. You know, learn some learn something new. I just don't I guess I don't understand why people are so they're so reactive to things that have no bearing on anything, rather than using reaction to actually make political change or community change. If we use, I mean, just imagine this. Okay, we're on Facebook, right? And there's like, say, 50 comments on someone's post, and people are going back and forth, back and forth, because they don't, they don't like the new escalator that's going to be installed at the mall. And people are really angry about that. If all those people took the time, say it was five minutes a piece, if those 50 people took those five minutes to actually go to the mall and actually talk to the mall instead of doing it on social media, all of a sudden the mall might actually reconsider putting in something that the people don't want. Mm-hmm. Other than Rather than sitting on social media where it goes nowhere. Everybody's willing to say something when they don't have to really stand up for it, but then when they get behind the computer screen, they can say whatever they want. But people could have so much more power in community-driven processes if they would just get up and get out of their house for once. Social media has made our society dumber. Oh, yeah. And we lazier. Live- <laughs> we totally live in an anti-intellectual society. <laughs> Complacent, anti-intellectual, depoliticized, you know. But I think that, again, education and and community has the ability to change that, you know. A ton of people don't even know their neighbors. You know, that that blows me away. You know, I don't even know my neighbors, to be honest. We have new neighbors that have moved in around us, and, you know, we've said hi, but we're very alienated as, as a community, uh, especially in Southern California here. You know, it's a big city. I feel the same way here. I mean, we used to, when I was younger, we had the neighborhood parties. And yep. now it, that's not even a, a thing. It's unheard of. Yeah. Yep, yep. I remember that, too. You know, kind of stepping back and kind of, Talking a, a little bit more superficially, um, which is weird because I mean the, the stuff we just talked about is, is such a huge topic, and and I, and I don't think people really realize it. I mean, I, th- I think so much of the hunting industry has said in their mind that you know there's all these anti hunters and they're on this side and they just block them out and move move along our way. When we have a point, and I think uh, I think we have an obligation to, to approach that conversation to people out there in the hunting industry what would you say you know when they run into that anti-hunter who's you know bashing the passion that they have for hunting you know what do they say what what's that first step to 
to open a conversation with the ones who aren't the extremists. They're just the ones that are the following the fad of not liking hunting. Sure. The first step is to keep your cool and not be reactive to the situation. People who are generally speaking out about something are not speaking out because of something you are doing. It's not about you. It's about a system that they don't approve or agree with that you may be participating in. But it's really not about you. Just like that petition, it's not about me. They want to make hunting illegal in California. They're just using me as the poster child. It's not about me, though. And I think the first step is for all of us to realize that it's a political agenda, which is a power structure. And the things that, you know, we engage in in the hunting community celebrate legacy and history that we're all very tied to and very passionate about. But ultimately, as an individual, it's not about us. It's about the industry. It's about the system. And so in order to have a conversation with someone, we have to understand that that's where their comments are coming from. And so to engage with them, we need to flip the script a little bit and and think about it from a systemic point of view. They don't like that this is going on. We're doing this. And so how do we have a conversation now? Proceeding that, you know, after you realize it's not about you. I mean, it is about us to some degree, right? Because we're, I mean, we're part of that community. But I mean, exactly. in order to have a conversation, it can't be about us. Because then we get defensive instead of being able to be reflexive. That's a good word. We get defensive instead of being reflexive. And so I think once the first step is just realizing that they're angry at something that's occurring that isn't you as an individual. <laughs> The second step, I think, would probably be to invite them to have a conversation at a later time and take the time to do it. If, if it's somebody that is worth the time to do it. I mean, I'm not talking about trying to have a conversation with somebody that's that's petitioning outside with a you know sandwich board, walking up and down your street. Yeah, because they're convert. a heated moment at the moment. They don't really care what's going on. They have all yeah. the, the people just, around them giving them the, the belief that they, they're doing the right thing. So you're battling a wall. <laughs> Absolutely. But the person that approaches you, uh, you know, at the archery range and, you you know, and asks, oh, why do you have that bow? That's a great opportunity to have a conversation because you don't actually know that person's opinion. Mm -hmm. And that's a great opportunity to say, hey, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm here to practice. I'm actually a bow hunter and I really love doing X, Y or Z. Most people are going to say, that's really cool. How do I find out more information? That not only helps grow the sport, but it also helps educate the population when they go to vote. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so, there, here comes a ballot measure about public land or something. And all of a sudden that person thinks back, hey, you know what? I feel like I met that bow hunter. He was a cool guy. I'm going to make sure this doesn't pass or whatever. Well, most people are just for the most part, it seems like, you know, they have their couple things that they're educated on and they're checking the boxes on those. Everything else is filling in the the bracket. You yep. know, they're, they're Christmas tree and through the rest of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then those that are against you that are, you know, how do you approach that? You know, again, I would invite them to have a conversation or invite them to go with you, you know, because people always think that, okay, I'm hunting and, you know, I've been, I've been told time and time again, I can't do it. It's way too bloody. Well, we both know that it's actually really not bloody. You know, when I go to skin out an animal, it's not bloody. And people assume that it's just like, it's like an operation room in there, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> And it's not. And I think that that surprises people. And when you invite them, people start to realize that actually it's not like you see in the movies at all. Not to say that we don't, you know, sometimes there's a bad shot. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes there is 
you know, of course there's a blood trail and things like that, but it's generally not as horrific as people imagine in their head. And if you think about it, it is a little bit more humane than a, a predator going after another animal and the way they eat them, they eat them while they're still yeah. alive and they're now tortured for yeah a long period of time. And we're doing a quick humane kill and it might not be sometimes the best shot, but overall they're not being in torture pain living through the whole thing for a period of time until it's finally done. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, talking about the whole controversy that's going on, bring a kid, you know, you, you did fishing and you're really getting a lot of flack for, for taking teenagers and, and youth hunting. Judging from the news story that, that we saw a little while ago, you know, even the parents are on board. The parents are like, they're perfectly fine. Like, this is what our, our child wanted to do. They wanted to learn it for this reason, this reason, this reason. And, and Jen taught him those things or is teaching him those things. You know, everything you've done for that program from, from the mason jar, saving up the money just to, to pay for the activities has been helping kids, you know, get into the outdoors, learn a new skill, learn multiple new skills. You know, if there's if there's something you can say to people who are on Facebook and trolling or, or sending mail or however they're contacting you, what's something beneficial about that program, you can tell them, educate them on what that program does besides just killing an animal or, or going fishing. I think the first thing is that I don't think people realize that catching that fish or harvesting that animal is the smallest part of what happens. It's the mm -hmm. smallest part, right? You have kids now that have taken the time to write letters, first of all, which is unheard of. You can't <laughs> even get kids to write a thank you note after, you know, something. <laughs> Um, so you have kids sitting down to take the time to actually put thought into letters, which shows me that it's something they actually want to do. The second thing is it teaches them weapon safety, range safety, which we all know America has a whole lot of guns oh, yeah. and I'm all for second amendment rights. I stand behind second amendment rights 100%, but I also stand behind gun safety education. My mom taught me firearm safety from a very, very young age. So preparedness is the key is part, the main part of this. I mean, absolutely. I mean, these kids get to learn these skill sets that other people are generally either afraid of or don't know how to teach or don't know where to go to teach them or to, to teach their kids that. And I think it's important. You know, they learn patience. They learn, they learn how to engage in community because it, I mean, let's face it. They don't know me. They don't know Angie. They don't know anybody that I'm going to put them in contact with. Yet their parents still trust me to take them alone. Why? Because there's a huge sense of community and there's people vouching for each other. And the only way that happens is to get out and to start talking to people and to build relationships. And these kids are now able to learn and see how that happens. And in turn, they do it. In turn, some of these kids that I've, I've worked with have you know, at the end of the hunt, turned around and said, you know what, I'm going to keep in contact with you. And they have, you know, and they've showed me the things that they've done. And they've contacted other people and other kids to get involved in the outdoors, whether it be camping for their first time or stand up paddle boarding, it doesn't matter. They're getting into the outdoors. And that's what this is doing. The actual harvest and the actual fish at the end is the smallest part. That's the reward. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. the icing well, on the cake. Maybe that wasn't a good answer. I don't know. No, no, it absolutely no. was. I mean, because I mean, I don't know any of the people who have made comments. I don't know anyone personally. I don't know anyone by name, nothing. But the one thing that I wonder is, you know, when they were a kid, did, did they never go fishing? Did they? Obviously, they probably never went hunting. But what was that thing for them that was that first aha moment or that first activity they did that they really, they figured out they, they really loved? 
you know, and I would love if we could somehow compare whatever that moment is for them. It, that's what that's what some of these kids are experiencing. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, that first moment of, you know, excitement in the outdoors. It, it's it's such a thrill. I mean, I I remember all of my youth growing up and wanting nothing other than to be in the outdoors, catching fish at that point. And every single fish was the same excitement, same happiness. And I I just don't know how they don't grasp that in a different light. You know, it's they're not in the outdoors, but these kids are. You know, and that's what they want to do. So I, I I don't know. Just there's there's a huge gap there, and it baffles me every time I I go through Facebook and I read anti hunter comments uh, about something I love. And you know, it's it, it like you said, it's very hard not to get um, reactive to it because it's a passion. And when oh. something's passion, it's hard not to take it to heart. It's so true. There's so many times I've wanted to comment back on it, <laughs> <laughs> and I know that I just. I can't because... Have you ever got to the part where you start typing, you almost have it perfect, and oh, then yeah. you end up, delete. <laughs> delete. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know, what do you do about it, though? You know, there's certain times where I just, I really, really want to engage. And because I, I don't have a good filter. You know, I'm I'm a loud mouth. <laughs> I'm very opinionated. But I also have learned over the years to try to be really reflexive and, and to be okay with changing my opinions. But I'm not always good at it. You know, and I also have a very sarcastic sense of humor. And so sometimes I want to say things that are just off the wall, but <laughs> it's so hard to just not be reactive. It really is. We were talking earlier, and one thing you said is you, you kind of feel that the majority of this this pressure and the comments are coming from women. It's It's not even guys that are coming at you. Why do you think you're getting such a huge response from from women particularly? It's strange, huh? Um, well, I think that I, as an academic, my comments to that would basically be that I think there's a little bit of reverse sexism happening where women are policing other women uh, because women hunters specifically don't fit into the box of this is how you're supposed to perform. You know, you're supposed to, it's okay to be feminist but only this this much feminist if you if you go outside of that then you're too much or you're not enough mm -hmm. it's okay to be professional but if you go beyond you know say a master's degree then you're too much again and if you don't get a master's degree then you're not enough and i think that's kind of what we're seeing in the hunting industry is that women from outside the hunting industry are policing women who are inside the hunting industry because or not even i shouldn't even say industry just hunters huntresses you know, they're policing huntresses because we don't fit in the box. We can't be kept in this nice, neat little package of what a hunter is supposed to be in their minds. We don't fit in the package of what a female is supposed to be in their minds. You know, maybe I shouldn't use the feminist example because it wasn't the strongest. But I do think that it's a phenomenon of, of, of reverse sexism, of women policing other women. We've been taught culturally to police each other. When women dress up to go out, let me tell you a little secret. They're not dressing up for men. They're yeah. dressing up to look better than other women. Mm -hmm. That's nothing to do with men. <laughs> you know, now, whether or not a woman would admit that, I don't know. <clears throat> it's each other. It's culturally ingrained into something that we, we have done for a very long time. And, and I somehow think, got applied to hunting as well. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Um, and so I think that's why you've seen the attacks on female hunters by other women. I also think that perhaps women might be getting targeted because we are still the minority in the hunting industry. And it's always easier to make change that you can see to create a cause 
when the smallest population is affected. Mm -hmm. So if you're an anti-hunter, going after females makes sense because if you can get the females scared out of doing it, then maybe that's a step that that's a that's a measurable thing you can show to your supporters to say, hey, we're making headway. Let's keep going. That almost sounds like they assume that women are the weakest link, which nowadays, I mean, it looks like more women are becoming more outspoken and they're they're becoming a head front of the hunting industry. So huntresses, I mean, they, if they can tackle them, they assume that they're not the biggest part of hunting. Then, yeah, they have the ability to start weeding out the, uh, from the lower end up. But I don't think it's that way anymore. I mean, really, women are pushing more because they're getting the spotlight. Absolutely. I agree with you. I just think that this is sort of a phenomenon that's happening, whether or not it's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's, it is a phenomenon that's happening. You know, anybody that's been taught or, or has taken, you know, classes and things like community organizing, which is actually my background, by the way, um, community organizing strategies is that you reorganize and you change power from the bottom up not from the top down. You dismantle power from the bottom up. So, I mean, that's that's the truth. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what you're working with. If you want to see a power structure be changed, it doesn't matter what the power structure is. Power rearrangement from the bottom up is the most effective way to rearrange power. It's the foundation. Exactly. And it's the easiest to access. And it's usually the largest population. So, you know, you're talking about women policing women who happens to be the smallest population but it's the fastest growing population. So, you know, another idea could be something along the lines of if, you know, women hunters are being targeted, it's the fastest growing population. If you join hunting, this is going to happen to you too. The political world. <laughs> it's You can never have it the, the an easy way. <laughs> you, you hate having politica, political agendas in hunting, but they're, they're really there. And I mean, that's the thing that I think so many people, again, people are in the hunting industry are turning a blind eye to. You know, it's not just... As much as we would love it to be just about going out and, and getting in the woods and going hunting and spending those days hiking, you know, the, behind the scenes at, at the base of the industry, there's a lot of political agendas. Absolutely. You know, as far as girls go, um, you know, that's something that you know, it is exploding. I mean, it's it's been the last five years or so, a little bit more than that. You've started to see a steady increase and now – I mean, it's it's name after name after name of very very good huntresses or women hunters. Some of them, some of them don't like huntresses. So, but <laughs> yeah, it is just which is weird. But there, there's a lot of great women hunters out there representing the industry and representing different clothing lines, different bows, different manufacturers, everything. You know, guys have their own little cliques that go on in the hunting industry. Obviously, with girls, I mean, is there something? That you guys talk about when you meet up at shows, is there something that you guys really are, are a huge proponent for, or what's the next step for women in this industry? Where where are they, what are they trying to combine to really get to? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I you know I think a big a big thing. I, I can't speak for all women. You know what I mean? I have no idea, but yeah. I do think in in some of the conversations that I've been a part of, I do think that the conversation with women comes up more than when I have it with men uh, is, is the fact is the fact that changing the stereotype of what a hunter is and who a hunter is, mm -hmm. is a big thing. And I don't mean so much along the gender lines and, and at least in the conversations I've had have expressed a desire to be able to make a substantial change in the idea of what a stereotypical hunter is, you know, because a majority of the women I've actually come across in hunting they're all educated. 
Mm-hmm. Not only are they educated, most of them are professionals. I don't mean professionals in the, in the hunting or outdoor industry. I mean professionals as in they work a nine to five job and also raise a family sometimes. And with all the politics set aside and getting back to the the idea of the passion that you have for hunting, you know, what has been uh, to this point your favorite hunt? And what is it? I know you right now. You said that you have a new or uh, you're going out to go uh, pig hunting again, but what does the future look like for this coming year? Like Originally, what is your favorite hunt that you've done so far? Favorite hunt that I've done so far? I really like hunting birds with my bow. That's oh, wow. Awesome. So I, you know, the second, actually was, yeah, I guess it was the second. The second hunt I ever went on with my bow uh, was for pheasant, and I pheasant hunted with my bow and took down a couple of birds um, in flight. And wow. this was with a compound. Uh huh. Oh my gosh. Amazing. It was so amazing. And the thing that made it even more amazing is I had a group of guys who were shotgun hunters standing behind me being like, well, actually let's start from the beginning. I show up to this area, this land that I was going to hunt and all these shotgun hunters were kind of in like the next property over and decided to come over cause they thought I was lost. mind you i get out of out of my vehicle i bring my bow out clearly i'm not lost clearly but it's still oh you must be waiting for somebody do you need us to wait with you i wasn't waiting for anybody i was by myself but anyway i was like nope i'm good i'm going pheasant hunting but have a great day and they were just like there's no way there's no way and they decided to stand at the edge of the property because otherwise it would have been trespassing. But they stood at the edge of the property and watched. And I just remember feeling like I had a hole being burnt into my back <laughs> by all these guys. And I'm just like, Jen, you have to find a bird. You don't <laughs> yeah. have dogs. You don't have a gun. You have nothing. You don't even know for sure if there's birds here. And I'm just like, you know, talking myself through this. It's second time I've ever even gone hunting. <laughs> And I have a bow to hunt a pheasant. and A compound bow. Let's put it that. Bow. Yeah, that's even yeah. 10 times harder. And uh, a bird flew up, and I just remember thinking, you better hit this sucker, Jen. You better hit it. You don't hit it. You're walking away in shame. And I just instinctively shot. And I couldn't believe it, but I hit the bird. I hit the bird. And I like, I think I screamed so loud in excitement <laughs> that I was like, I turned around and just gave all these dudes the middle finger. Nice. <laughs> And, uh, that's well, a hunting story. My bird. You know, what's funny is I bet you they were probably talking smack about you all the way until the moment that happened, and they probably were quiet after that completely. They went hunting on the property next door, and then later on, there was there's like a mutual cleaning station that I think the property owners must share. And I went over there to clean my birds, and they were like, "Oh, how'd you do?" I said, "I got you know two pheasants, and I found a chucker, which I thought was strange because we don't have chucker here, so we got out from somewhere, but." free game to me that's what i say um but and i you know i showed them my birds or whatever and they were just like oh so so what bow do you shoot uh what kind of what kind of release do you use what are, can i see these arrows uh i'm amazed i'm amazed and i just like i i, I just laughed i don't know i laughed to myself and went on my way <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome though that was my favorite hunt for sure well, what's your season look like coming up i mean is there any hunts that you've planned other you know obviously the florida pig hunt but you know, this next season, what's uh, what's your buck list thing for this year? Sure. Uh, well, I'll hunt turkey for sure, both seasons. Um, and then I'll probably hunt pig 
up north in Northern California. I'll probably be going on a whitetail hunt. Uh, maybe a couple. I'm not sure. Uh, I have plans. Obviously, I have bow fishing season in the summer. Uh, big. I'm, I love to bow fish, so I, I spent a lot of time doing that uh, for skates and rays and in the ocean, and then oh, for. Wow some freshwater fish as well. Carp, which actually is edible. I know everybody's like, that's nasty. But if you smoke it and then shred it and mix it with cream cheese and green onion and powdered ranch dip mix, it's amazing. Really? <laughs> just saying. It's amazing. Really? So It is. It's really good. It's just there's a lot of bones in it, so you have to really shred it and be careful. But it's mm -hmm. very good. Um, so bow fishing season. Then I have big game fish season, uh, which hopefully will be as amazing this year as it was last year. So for tuna, dorado, yellowtail... Uh, what else? I really want to catch a rooster fish this year, but I don't know. I have to go pretty far south for that. So we'll see what happens. Um, and then what else? Oh, our deer season, of course. I mean, Can't forget that. we have blacktail and mu desert muleys here in addition to whitetail, which I obviously have to travel for because we don't have them in California. But hopefully, you know, this sounds funny because people are always making fun of me for this, but I love to hunt rabbits because I love to eat rabbits. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I'll have a good rabbit season this year as well. I have yet to hunt a rabbit and i've yet to try a rabbit so i have no idea what it tastes like oh man it, it tastes is, awesome it's delicious it's my it's probably my favorite game i'm not gonna lie i have to say my favorite is uh pheasant i i never had a chance to actually go hunt pheasant but i've had some hunters bring back uh pheasant for me and i was blown away you don't have to do anything with it and it just tastes amazing hmm. yeah i feel like pheasant's kind of dry really mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, to me i like it i thought maybe i like it dry i don't know but uh but then there's, you know, I'll be dove season, so that's really fun. Now, you said that you're going to be going doing turkey hunting this season as well. Are you going to use uh -huh. a bow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be the first year that I'm going to go turkey hunting with a bow. Uh, what broadhead were you using for that? Because I know there's some new ones coming out, but I don't know if you had one that you've successfully used and felt that that was a, a decent one to work with. I use, for turkey, I always use mechanical broadhead, first of all. Okay. And I'm actually partial to fixed broadheads. <laughs> but for turkey, I use, uh, you know, mechanical just because they're birds that, have a lot of feathers and you can't see blood you can't see anything in the event that it decides to fly away um, <laughs> hopefully you get to it before that happens but um i use you know steel force broadheads they're mechanical broadhead for turkey okay what do you think about like the guillotine style i thought about trying that because if you look at the pheasant picture of the pheasant that i shot with my bow i hit it right in the neck and i thought to myself how cool would that be <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't know. I've, I haven't uh, personally tried them. I don't I don't know how well they'll fly. Um, I'm I'm really little. Question. I'm a really little person. <laughs> you know, I'm only five foot half an inch and and very small, hundred pounds. And my draw length is very small. I only have a twenty four and a half inch draw length. So my arrows are short. They're more like darts. Uh, people always say that my bolts are ready. You know, because <laughs> they're so short. <laughs> But I think that, you know, the way that the points that I choose to use, the broadheads I choose to use, I have to be really careful just because of my size and what works for other people really usually does not work for me. So I have to worry about weight in the front, especially. So, I mean, do you have, do you typically have a really forward front to center? Do you kind of like having yours back in the middle? Just I like it in the middle. Yeah. But towards the, towards the rear, actually a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm still, I'm still trying to, you know, I'm, I'm not a tall guy at all. Um, I have a, for, for a guy, I've got a short draw length. I'm 28 and a half inches. And, you know, I'm always shooting shooting with or against these guys who have, you know, 29, 30, 31 inch draw lengths. And I'm always trying to battle, you know, their their FPS and, you know, their 
Well, drop. I I know that's that's what just okay. me. I start talking to women and I realize like there it's a, a whole different category. You guys have so many other elements that you're having to battle that you know most guys don't have to, but you guys still come out and consistently just shoot so well and have even long distance shots. There's been some women that you know they're shooting they're shooting almost as long as as some of the long distance guys out here, even with shorter draw lengths. They're just so much more precise, and it seems like it's like that. You know, at every every stage of shooting that 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 I watch women shoot at, they're just so precise with less feet per second. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I do know that I don't know as you know much about bow mechanics mechanics as I'd like to. I'm learning slowly. Um, I don't know. I'm, I really struggle with arrows for some reason, like understanding everything that goes into a properly weighted arrow. Oh, there's so um, much. I know, and I, I I try to learn, and and I'm learning stuff slowly, but it really. You know, people ask me questions all the time. I don't know the answer. And I tell them, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer. <laughs> um, but I'll look into it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but in terms of, of hitting a target far away, I'll just share this quickly with you because I was, this is the most exciting shot I've ever made at a competition. So I was at Aronco Bowman's Club, which is a local archery club in Southern California. And they do what they call a tomahawk shoot. Mm-hmm. They have a, target at 101 yards and I hit it I hit it and I was so excited (laughs) (laughs) most people missed it altogether like you know I think I got an eight instead of a 10 on it but still I hit it I didn't miss it altogether and my pins are only sighted into 50 yards right now or was then only out to 50 yards and so I, you know, I stacked my pins and I got ready and I just felt like, man, I wish the tip of this arrow was on fire because I feel like I'm in one of those old wars where there's like a moat and I'm like getting ready to launch my, my arrow <laughs> over the moat to the castle. <laughs> you know, first time I did a, an archery event, uh, we had a shot about, I think it was 96 yards. And the very first time I was only, my maximum distance was 50. So I picked up an arrow that was in the snow. And I pulled out, I was like, I'm not going to use one of mine. I just used whatever I found. And I ended up using the very bottom of my bubble to gauge, you know, the, the balance of it. And I'm like, I sure hope this is the right spot. I 12 ringed it. It was the best shot I ever had. I, I, I kept the arrow. I've never shot it again. I was like, this is the best shot I've ever had. I'll probably never have one ever. That's good. And I didn't even have a sight for it. Wow. That's great, though. Doesn't it feel good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a natural high. I think I did a little dance at the, you know, where everybody was standing in line to shoot this target or whatever. <laughs> Pretty sure people were like, what is wrong with that girl? You know, but I was just so excited because I never shot anything that far away, you know, with a 24 and a half inch draw length and a speed of next to nothing. <laughs> yeah. What is what is your uh, feet per second? Well, last time I measured it, it was like 180. <laughs> 180 wow wow that's an incredibly impressive you, you were aiming like up in the sky weren't you yeah okay. <laughs> i'm trying to picture that oh my God, so many feet, feet above the target i mean it was just blue sky what i did was i stacked my pins but i didn't have a reference point because the sky was all blue and so all i did was wait for a cloud to come and i moved my pin using the bottom of the cloud and hope that the wind wouldn't pick up and blow the clouds faster <laughs> Oh, my gosh. oh wow! Yeah, you know, I wonder. Do you have by chance an internal mathematics degree? <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Terrible. I am terrible at math. Obviously Actually. not, because that—that's no, no, a. Really <laughs> I really am. I'm bad at math, 
I'm not too good at sports, and I'm awful at dating. <laughs> oh. No. Well, I guess, you know, you probably can show off any guy that's probably you're hunting with or shooting with. So, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> that's probably why it's not the guys messing with you on social media because um, good-looking lady with a bow that can hunt and probably outshoot them kind of scares them. I don't know if it does or not because I generally respond to, I don't know, suitors. <laughs> I, guess <it's> <laughs> I generally respond to them with, Thanks for the compliment, smiley face. Oh, <laughs> and then just leave funny. it at that. <laughs> uh, so what is this, this one thing that kind of I wonder about, you know, I've had friends that have moved out to California for, you know, intended to be a long period of time and it quickly turned into a short period of time because they're hunters and they move out there and there's just wherever they're at, it doesn't seem like there's really the community. How's the hunting community around you? I mean, is everyone, I know everyone's probably spread out, but is it still a really tight-knit hunting community where you're from? It depends on the group that you get involved with and mm -hmm. whether or not you choose to seek out the community. It depends on where you run, you know, what circle you run in, and mm -hmm. if there is a circle that you choose to run in. And I think people have a hard time finding access to the hunting community here, but the hunting community is alive and well, and it's relatively strong. Uh, you know, if you start getting involved in organizations, that's the best way to find the hunting community here. I know for me, I joined the uh, National Wild Turkey Federation here, San Diego chapter, and actually I sit on the board now. But um, when I first joined, the reason why I went there is because I didn't have any friends that hunted. I didn't know anything. And they were absolutely amazing. And now I know the entire pretty much tight-knit group of people that hunt in a certain area and everybody shares tips and, and, you know, this is what I saw today. I didn't see this today. Hey, you can use my tree stand. Go ahead and check out my trail cam. You know, do you mind changing the batteries when you're up there? <laughs> Whatever. Whereas if I go five miles from there, there's hunting areas that I would know the first thing to do. And, and I don't know who hunts it. So I think it depends on where you go and what you're doing. Okay. Hunters here generally run into each other while hunting not outside of hunting. Do you think it's really? more that they try to hide that they're a hunter on an no, no, everyday no. life? No? No, no, okay. not at all. Um, but I mean, this is San Diego. People wear sundresses and flip-flops and board shorts and t-shirts, whether you're a hunter or not. You know, you don't generally have a ton of people walking around in the streets with things that identify them as a hunter or hunter-friendly even. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is SoCal, you know, Southern California is very laid back. It's very beach town. It's very just relaxed. Now, if you go east in Southern California, it's maybe a little bit more obvious. But where I mean, I'm from the coast. I live two miles from the beach in a you know relatively suburban type beach town. Beach town. So yeah, I mean, I didn't even know there was people so close to me that that hunted until I started going hunting and I saw them parked at the same places I was parked at to go hunt. Really? So it's just I, I spent the last four years out in Colorado and I mean, obviously totally, totally different demographic, but I mean, every, the three and four archery shops that were kind of around Denver, I mean, still even, you know, 30 miles apart had the same, had the same regulars, you know, you, they, basically everyone would make their, make their trip around, around to each one for each night for each archery thing. And it seemed like everyone knew everyone within the archery, archery side uh, even though there's, I mean, same probably 300, 400 people over the course of a couple of years, you would see consistently. It's it's definitely a little different. I'm I'm used to tight knit hunting communities. 
you know, I, I think we see such such a subdivide between old school thinking and new school thinking. Kind of the 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 phrase that's been coined for it that I that I've heard the most is, you know, there's there's the flat brimmers and the non flat brimmers. You know, because that's kind of that's kind of where the generation gap is between the ones that are still I'm going to do everything with a recurve or I'm going to shoot a compound and not shoot anything less than 40 yards. And that's all the old school guys. And I think those are some of them that are kind of a little, little hesitant towards, you know, the boom of, of women in the industry. Whereas those guys, you know, that are the flat brimmers, they're the ones that are, have, you know, bright wraps on their bows, wear flat brim hats, wear some, wear some camo selection that old timers would never even dream about wearing. And they're the ones that are super perceptive and super excited about this, this huge movement of, of women. Um, they're, they're like the biggest supporters. And, you know, that's the biggest thing I've dealt with, with some of the younger crowd is, you know, they're thrilled to have, you know, a lot of them, it's, it's some of their wives that have finally stepped up and, you know, they're out shooting them and they're getting more sponsorships and they're getting more opportunities to have successful seasons than they are. And they're thrilled about it because uh, it's kind of that, that next step for the industry to, to keep growing. Yeah, I agree with you. We have to get women and kids involved. We have to, or we're going to lose it. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you kind of want to touch on, something we didn't cover, something you really want to, the closing statement of point you would love people to understand? Really, I just think it's about really trying to have conversations that are meaningful with one another, even with other hunters. You know, just because I hunt for a certain reason, doesn't mean you hunt for the same reason and the more information we have access to and the more communication we have access to with each other we become stronger as a community actually to understand why someone else hunts maybe you know uh it could at one point be really useful in a conversation with someone who doesn't hunt that you might not have thought about so i mean i think that we need to have conversations with one another and i also think that we need to celebrate and support one another regardless of what those reasons are and I've actually gotten a ton of support from everybody. And it's amazing. Uh, I probably would have turned down a lot of these sorts of interviews if I didn't have people standing behind me supporting me because it's intimidating. You know, I sound like this big, like, assertive chick that's like, I think this and I think that. But actually, <laughs> all of this is really intimidating. And so I... I am really thankful for those people who have stepped up and said, hey, we support you and, and sent me messages and, and posted on my Facebook page and, and all of that. Um, it's been amazing to know that I'm supported in bringing kids out into the outdoors and that the community can come together regardless of things outside of being a hunter. The fact that we may not all agree and that's okay. We're still together as a community and I think that's pretty amazing. Now we just need to spread that to people outside of our community. I think well, it's great that you're standing your ground for what you believe in, and uh, it gives other people the ability. If you can do it, then you know maybe they can do as well. And that right there is that's the greatest part about this. Even though there is a lot of negativity coming around, but it is giving more light in the areas that you're now getting people to believe in more of what we're trying to do. Well, I appreciate that. Um, hopefully, together we can all make some changes and grow the industry and get kids outside and away from electronics. Well, you definitely have another support group from uh, from us here, you know, personally from me and Travis and, you know, the from the Boros podcast, you know, whatever we can do to help help get your message out there and, and kind of help close some gaps 
you know, between hunters to hunters and between one side to the other, um, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever we can, you know, call us and let us know how we can help you guys out. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Have a great night, you guys. You too. Hey, Thank bye you. Bye. 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 Well, you know, we've had two really good episodes with Jen, the Archer Cordero and the Archer. It's interesting how she had that name applied to her because really it's just Jen Cordero, but the way she brought the Archer fits really well with her. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's, she's got a great story behind her. She's, she is a true Archer. She's a hunter and she's someone who's really helping this industry grow by bringing the youth into it. And probably more than likely some of those haters that are sending hate mail her way, she's going to change some of their minds and she's going to make another hunter out of someone else that never thought they would ever be a hunter. And that is absolutely awesome. Well, heck, you know, she came from being a vegetarian, Mm -hmm. a vegetarian, someone that went from not eating meat Mm -hmm. to now killing her own uh, food. I mean, talk about that's, that's different. You don't hear that often. No, I mean, and, and not only that, you know, to jump into, you know, something that's even a little bit more out there in my mind is she has a great concept of what a pro staffer is. She's she's oh, a yeah, phenomenal that's pro right, staffer. That's right. Um, you know, just looking at some of the companies that she pro staffs for, seeing what she does, and then to hear her say, uh, and it's one of my favorite statements, is pro staff. It doesn't mean professional. It means promotion. promotional. Like you, yeah. she's out there absolutely busting her ass to make those companies bigger by being there to support them, being at events, being at different archery shows and really pushing the product out there. What I do like that she was, when it came to the pro staffing, Mm -hmm. she was honest in explaining it's not easy. It's not for everyone. And to do it, you need to put a lot of effort into it. And she did. And so for her to be able to go where she was and where she's at and how she did it, I mean, follow the steps as she did, you might succeed as well, but you got to realize you got to bust your butt to do it. Definitely. You know, one of the things that we were talking about, she said her mason jar. And I like that topic. And granted, it probably is a true mason jar. In fact, I think that she did say it was a mason jar. Actual mason but jar. It's to help her and her friends take youth, uh, kids of all ages, to the outdoors to go fishing and hunting. Um, that jar obviously gets depleted. So, you know, anyone that liked what she had to say, I encourage, if you have some extra spare change, find a way, reach out to her and see if there's a way you could donate. Because, I mean, all you're doing is helping her help youth. And that's a big plus. There's a ton of charities out there. I don't remember if she said it was an actual charity, but I do know that what she is doing is very charitable. So it's the same concept, I would think. Pick one and donate to it. This one is one that, you know, um, my said change, I'll be donating to it. I want more youth growing up in the outdoors where probably the majority of us learned, you know, lessons the hard way. If you remember, she said that the kids that write to her asking if they will take them hunting or fishing, they're searching for someone to teach them because why? Their parents don't have that background. They don't have that education. They weren't brought up into the outdoors. And so for Jen and her friend to be saying, sure, we'll take you, they need the money. They need to be able to have support and afford to be able to bring these kids out there. And what's great is that the parents are backing them because they trust them. Why? Because it's social proof. She's helped many kids already. They've had great experiences. And the families that are following them are backing her and saying, you know, she's doing something great. She's helping the kids get out, out of the being watching TV and play video games. They're getting out in the outdoors. They're experiencing something they've never done before. And I think that's great. There's a lot of people that are 
trying to take that away from youth. You know, play play more video games, stay inside. No, get outside, enjoy life. Exactly. So what an awesome podcast. We covered so much stuff. Um, This was the podcast 013. If you only caught this one, make sure you go back, check out the the initial part of this conversation in uh, the Bow Rush podcast 012. It was Jen Cordero, um, Jen the Archer Cordero. She just has a lot she can talk about. She's doing a lot of things in the archery industry. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to have her come on here and kind of give her side of the industry and especially talk about some of the things she's doing with all the youth. You know, To me, that's, that's kind of um, where my heart goes to is bringing the next generation into the industry. Well, that and bow hunting in general, the outdoors in general, let alone the industry itself. If someone doesn't do it, no one's going to do it. You can't count on someone else to go out and take a kid fishing and take a kid hunting. You've got to do it. And that's what she's doing. Uh, her and uh, her and her friends single-handedly are helping kids discover the outdoors, love the outdoors, and really find their passion. And that's our next generation. So out of all the things we covered, that's one of the most important and one of the most important lessons I think you know, I'm going to take from this is there are people out there who are busting their ass to make sure that the next generation has somewhere to go outside. With every day, there are the opposing few that are trying to hinder our ability to hunt. And she is one that's fighting that fight to make sure that we get that ability to hunt each and every day. So, you know, support her, support anyone that's wanting to stand front and say, hey, I, I'm not accepting this. We are hunters and we're going to stay that way. Uh, make sure to follow her. Uh, we'll have that on our, if you go to our show notes, we'll have that. And you can follow, find out where she's located and uh, give her a shout and say, hey, we support you. Absolutely. Um, do us a huge favor. Make sure you go to some of our social medias, you know, facebook.com forward slash my bow rush and you know go on there leave us a message and tell us you know what you like tell us what you want to hear about that's really how we go about finding people and finding our next topic and our next guest is what you guys want to hear about what you want you guys want to get more education about or, or what you guys really are interested in so check us out there and like always go to the itunes account and you can get there by going to mybowrush.com forward slash itunes uh if you can you know if you if you like what we're doing uh, leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a comment. That's really going to be how we're going to grow. Uh, that's going to be how we're going to get more and more people involved with the Bow Rush podcast, grow this family, and, and really get a good base of knowledge for you guys. Uh, and we'll go from there. Now that we've both seemed to get over our being sick, no kidding. I, I like to throw it out there that we got some really exciting guests coming on and some big-name people. Uh, we won't say their names yet, but keep an eye out on our Facebook and uh, be ready for them because it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a blast. So, you know, always keep checking in with us. Let us know what you think because that's what's important to us. And as always, you know, I'm Scott Nelson. I'm Travis Stowe. This has been another episode of the Bow Rush Podcast. And as Jen would say, don't be a defensive hunter. Be a reflexive. Stay tuned for our next episode of the Bow Rush Podcast. See you later.